Welcome to One City Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this message by Chris Conley. For more information, please visit our website at onecitymemphis.org. So I want to ask you a question that's initially kind of a, a Captain Obvious question. Do you believe in healing? And it's easy to say we believe in healing when we're believing in healing for someone else. Do you believe in healing for you? And then it's really easy to say that when you don't currently need healing, but it's more difficult to say that when you're in the moment of crisis where there's no other option except for God's ability to heal. And this was not a part of my message, but just as I'm discerning where worship has taken us, um, I want to start with the end in mind. I want to ask you, to go ahead and prepare your heart right now that at the end of the service, Becca will sing a song over us. There'll be a handful of people available here to pray for healing in your life. But what I really sense that kind of in the world of a word of knowledge, I really sense that There are people battling different types of negativity. You know, it's just like that that pessimistic, you know, everything's, you know, the world's going to hell in a handbasket kind of thing, and everything's just getting worse, and and you know, and it's just one thing stacking on top of another, and 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 how can I ever overcome it? And and so is it negativity? Is it pessimism? Is it some form of stress? Is it some form of worry, some form of anxiety? Is it pressure just, you know, kind of caving in on you? Because see, Jesus said he came that we might have joy and that our joy would be made full. And so what's working against your joy? What's trying to steal your joy? And I'll even use this term, what are the joy suckers in your life? It's just sucking the joy right out of your life, all right? And you might not initially think, oh, well, that's something I need healing for. Now, let me say this with respect. Some conditions I agree, concur, affirm wholeheartedly that you need medical assistance in and respect that, honor that, and endorse that. Even if these are conditions that you're getting medical help, still pray for healing. If I were a doctor, I would want you to follow my diagnosis and prescription for your health, but I would also want you to pray for healing. And so... Some of these things, there's different perspectives in the room where I'm not the type of person that's going to pray for healing unless I am in absolute crisis. 
And not all needs for healing are the result of sin. So let me say this, but I need to use this example about what Scripture says about sin. Scripture says about sin that when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully accomplished, brings forth death. And so what that really means is every small sin wants to grow up and become a big sin. All right? Every small problem desires to be a big problem. And so the same is kind of true even in the world of disease, that if there's some form of sickness in you that is um, undetected, undiagnosed. It, it's, it's almost like decay in your tooth, right? That if, if, if you just allow this decay to keep coming, there's going to be a day where it hits you probably in the night when you can't go get immediately help and every part of your body wants to come to the rescue of this one tooth and it's a pain like no other. So here's what I'm asking us to do in this January month, looking at a new year. Would we be proactive? If the smallest thing in your life is working against you being a person of joy, pray for it to be healed. If there are some things that are debilitating you in different ways, preventing you from being your absolute best, Pray for it to be healed. And I really believe that our God is a healer. And some of those will be healed immediately today. And if I'm just so that always want to be fully transparent, I know that he can and I pray that he will. Some he may choose in his sovereignty not to heal right here in this moment. I don't understand why. But I know that I am told to pray that he will, to believe that he can and pray that he will. And so I would rather come asking and maybe be told to wait and ask again than not ask at all. Right. And so I'm just, I just really sense this morning, again, this has nothing to do, I didn't write any of this down, I just really sense over... Um, Allie came to me and said, and let me make this available for the time that we'll have this response time of healing. She said she really sensed that there's some people in the room that are struggling to sleep at night. And, and that there might be night terrors or just different things that are interrupting them having a healthy night's sleep. If that's you, come receive prayer for healing. She sensed that there's someone that might have some type of ailment in their right eye that is being problematic and causing some difficulty. If that's you, come receive healing. We serve a supernatural God, but in order for him to be supernatural, we have to ask him to do supernatural things versus just help me have a better day. See, John 10.10 says, the thief comes to steal kill and destroy those are very strong words jesus backs it up and when he backs it up he didn't say and i came to just help you survive today that is not what he said he said i came to help you have life and life more abundant 
So believing, asking, and let's walk in it. All right, I've got a question for you. It's a little bit direct and right out of the box. Are you lazy? And I would say, honestly, knowing the majority of you, laziness is not your danger. And honestly, knowing just the way most Americans are wired, laziness is not our danger. So let me reframe the question. Are you lazy in your spiritual life? Well, since you phrased it that way. (laughs) If you battle laziness, it's a motivation problem. A lot of times people think, oh, I'm just not a very disciplined person. No, discipline's always related to motivation. Motivation's always related to my desires. And typically where... I am motivated, I'm disciplined. Typically where I have the strongest desires, I'm disciplined. And if I have trouble being disciplined in an area, and if I tend to be lazy in an area, then I'm misunderstanding the promise of God. See, God promises a harvest. So, I mean, what's needed to motivate you spiritually? Because here's the thing about the harvest, and, and here's where we get in danger sometimes, all right? So, God promises salvation, and that salvation forgives us of our sin, And when we're forgiven of our sin, we take off the old, we put on the new, we begin to walk into the new. We begin to experience newness of life. Uh, We begin to walk by the Spirit, bear some of the fruits of the Spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We don't do it perfectly, but we, we get to a place where we have a certain stability in life. We get to a place where we have a certain quality of life. And then once we get out of the danger zone and we have a certain quality of life, we become content. We find our comfort zone. See, we were motivated as long as we were in danger, but the moment we got out of danger, we lost our motivation. And so there's a part of the harvest that's about us. It is about saving us from us, and it's about making us uh, men and women of God who walk by the Spirit, bear the fruits of the Spirit, and we have life and life more abundant. But there's a second motivation. You're called to be on mission. Every single one of us, the harvest is not just for us and about us, the harvest is about others. And if you don't live your life on mission, you'll become spiritually lazy. If you don't live your life on mission, you will be a church attendee instead of a follower of Christ. 
If you don't live your life on mission where you believe that God has called you to be a difference maker, to be an ambassador for Christ, to literally change your circle of influence. If you change your circle, we'll change the city. If we change the city, we'll change the country. If we change the country, we'll touch the world. Sometimes we get overwhelmed. Because we'll talk about how great the need is. It's like watching a commercial where you see a third world country and you see all the children in great need and you do one of two things. You either change the TV quickly because it's uncomfortable, you don't want to be uncomfortable, and the problem's too big and you can't solve it, or you go ahead and adopt a child. Those are the only two options. And so, we're talking about cultivate good soil. We're talking about preparing the land for a harvest. So last Monday night, DeMar Hamlin has this freak accident during the football game where he goes in cardiac arrest. And you know the seriousness of what's taking place by looking at the players' faces. And in that moment, whether someone considered themselves to be religious or not, people knew the only place to turn was God. And they turned to one another. And tragically, this nation is becoming more and more post-Christian every day. But it's moments like this that what caused literally millions of people to pray for this man and praise God, listen, prayer works, medical expertise works, and they work best together. What caused me, what caused others to stop right there and pray? What caused millions of dollars to be given to his foundation? Because someone wanted to do something to make the difference in the life of one person. And that is put in every individual by the heart of God. That is God's harvest. We cannot afford to be spiritually lazy He hasn't just called you to learn the do's and don'ts of church. He hasn't called you to learn the rules. Listen, if you ever had a teenager, all right, rules without relationship equals rebellion. Rules without relationship equals rebellion. The only reason we care about his rules is because he is a good rule giver. And his rules are trustworthy because he is good. See, the harvest is now, and if you were here on Tuesday night, I felt like God gave me this phrase. The harvest is now and wow. And if the harvest doesn't wow you, then something is a dead in your heart. Something isn't awake in your heart. Listen, the harvest is now, and when you see Damar Hamlin come off the incubator or or, or the, what's it called? The respirator. respirator. 
I'm looking at Carol here on Tim. Help me, help me, help me. And to be able to speak to his team and to say, love you, boys. Oh, that's a wow. But there are people in your circle of influence who are dying every day apart from Christ, without Christ, dying both internally and externally, dying both spiritually and physically because we don't love well. The harvest will only be reaped by us proving love works. So let me put this into the farmer illustration since we're talking about cultivating good soil. What does the farmer see when he or she sees bare land? Just open land. Maria said potential. Most farmers are generational farmers. Most farmers, their great-great-grandpa farmed that land, and then their great-grandpa farmed that land, and their Paul farmed that land, and they've seen it time and time and time and time again go through the cycle and bring a harvest. They see the harvest even when the harvest isn't there. But they see all the work involved to bring the harvest there. There's no such thing as a lazy farmer or they're an ex-farmer. <laughs> the farmer has faith in the process of farming. The farmer has faith that the land will produce a harvest. The farmer sees his or her way the pathway to the harvest. And let me tell you this, the farmer does a heck of a lot more than pray. The farmer prays, but he does a heck of a lot more than pray. See, when you're a farmer, it's not a typical job, it's a way of life. Typically, you're connected to a specific piece of land. For us, for this vision, I believe our piece of land is Memphis. The name means Enduring beauty. The name means the land, the city between two lands. It's the place that was designed to unify. See, you invest in the land, you invest in the equipment, you invest in the team to farm the land, you invest in your local community. Farming's not a free process. It costs you a lot of money before the harvest ever comes. You protect the crops from the weather in all types of pestilence. Is there any pestilence in your life? Any weather that's, you know, bad days instead of good days? See, you do everything with the harvest in mind. Ultimately, farming is an amazing combination of faith and work. And that's our life. We don't have a faith without works. We, it begins with faith, but with that faith, that faith begins to express itself in all different types of works. 
See, the farmer has faith. That word faith means confident trust in the law of the harvest. What's the law of the harvest? The law of the harvest is you will reap what you sow. You will reap after you sow. You will reap more than you sow. And the farmer embraces the risk. The weather's always unpredictable. There is a risk involved. More times than not, somehow or another, the farmer navigates that thing and finds a way to win the battle. But there are times, unfortunately, weather wins. So much can go wrong and so much yet has to go right. The farmer embraces the work. It's dirty work. It's detailed work. The farmer knows the harvest inevitably belongs to the Lord. The farmer never misunderstands his or her responsibility and role in the process. But what the farmer knows is that there's a moment where his or her faithfulness or let me say it this way, his or her faith connects with the faithfulness of God, those two things collide together and the harvest comes. See, the groundwork must be laid and the harvest cannot be forced. The harvest can only happen through the Lord's provision. So what did Karen and I do when God called us back to this land, to farm this land? It was in April of 2020. It was Exodus chapter 4, verse 19 and 20. Go back to Egypt. All the people who wanted to kill you have died. Bring your wife and children with you and the staff of God. Thank you for the polite invitation, God. <laughs> so we prayed and we continue to pray. We needed confirmation. Pastor Jimmy called Three days after we received that word and said, I don't have much, but I got this little church and um, I'm battling congestive heart failure and I'm in the hospital and God told me I need to restore Chris Conley to ministry before I die. And so if you want to use my church, you need to hurry up because this heart's ticking and it ain't ticking for long. That's kind of the way he said it, if you know his sense of humor. So we needed confirmation. We needed provision. We needed, you know, Jesus starts... We think about the 12, right? But there's the three of the 12, Peter, James, and John. We needed our three, our 12, our 72, our 120. That's you. Hello, that's you. You have been chosen as the three, the 12, the 72, the 120. You have been chosen as the ones that are going to be sent out two by two throughout this entire city to bring revival to this city, not to grow another church. Not to just have a church like every other church. So what have we been doing for two years? We've been cultivating good soil. We've been planting seeds. We've been nurturing the growth. And now we're preparing for the harvest. Let me demonstrate this process. Because we started in the midst of COVID, we missed... 20 Sundays that first year. If you take into account those 20 Sundays, this Sunday is our 100th Sunday. All right? So we've been cultivating good soil for 100 Sundays. 
Now in that, we've had about 80 tremble services. On Tuesday nights, if you've never been, we just literally carve out time from 6.45 to whenever God says stop. God used Justin this past weekend in a powerful way. In a powerful way. He'll be leading this Tuesday night. Next Sunday, Tom and Susie Brock will be here. They're overseers in the life of our church from California. God's used them around the world in different apostolic movements. They'll be here next Sunday, and they'll be here that following Tuesday. You don't want to miss not only hearing from them, but getting to know them and ask them to pray with you and for you. But see, we started a house of prayer before we started the church because, see, he says, my house ought to be a house of prayer. And we're asking for Memphis lies on a fault line, and we're asking for a new type of earthquake to occur. And we're asking for a, uh, a ripple effect of the movement of God to occur from here. See, Memphis... It's changed the world in so many ways. We, we, we distribute our music to change the world, rock, blues, soul, gospel, innovators, Holiday Inn right out of here, FedEx right out of here, AutoZone out of here. There's more. I'm just missing them in the top of my mind. Shoot, we, we, we distribute barbecue around the world, right? <laughs> barbecue, blues, and basketball. Now we got John Moran. And I keep coming back to this because I believe God spoke it. He said, Chris, you keep praying for revival, but I can't bring revival to a divided church in a divided city. And if you want me to answer the prayer for revival, then I need you to unify our city. See, a divided heart is never pleasing to the Lord. It has idols. A devoted heart is unstoppable in the hands of the Lord. See, we've done approximately 20 different sermon series in that time, and I just want to give you an example of some things because, see, if you weren't here, you can go back on the podcast and listen to these, but the very first sermon series was called New Wine. Because see, that's what God was doing in my life, introducing me to more of the Holy Spirit. And it was five weeks on who the Holy Spirit is and about five weeks on what he does. But then we also did a series called Fire and Ember, what's needed to burn brightly. And we talked about the importance of friendship. If you come to this church and in six months you don't build friends, you will leave this church. Church is not about attendance. Church is about being family. We're going to learn how to do family. We don't know how to do family well in the American church. Next, we talked about blessed and set apart. Discover the rhythms of rest and reward. Talked about honoring the Sabbath. You would be amazed. I'm going to talk about this at the end of the message. What would happen if we actually honored the Sabbath? 
Karen did a series called Priority Time. We're going to talk about that at the end of the message, about different ways that we put God first. Go back and listen to these series. I could go through them again and again and again, but I just encourage you to go to the podcast and find what's there. But what's the result of cultivating good soil for two years? We're expecting to harvest in year three. A harvest that will include anyone in your family that's not currently walking with God returning to God. It will include any prodigals coming home. A harvest that will include anyone who doesn't know the Lord in your family coming to know the Lord. The harvest begins in your circle first. But then that harvest, once God proves love works in us, and then he begins to prove love works through us. Once God unifies, people take notice of unity because it's such a rare commodity. People take notice of love because it's so hard to find. And then we're going to see miracles. We have seen miracles. Ann Hobbs is back there. Healed of cancer is a miracle. There's all kinds of other miracles. We're going to see the city turned upside down by testimony. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. It's not going to be because we have better teaching or we have better music or we have a new building. It's going to be because the presence and power of God is alive and well in you and through you. Yes, we have the harvest of a new home coming. Yes, we have the harvest of restoration coming. Yes, we have the harvest of growth, both spiritually and numerically. We have the harvest of opportunity. But how often does a farmer think about the harvest? Virtually every day. Especially when you're knee deep in the manure. Anybody ever been knee deep in the manure? You have, whether you're willing to admit it or not. You may be in it right now. Most of the time when y'all call me, you're in it. All right? The farmer works sun up to sundown. So when do you start getting excited about the harvest? To the farmer, he doesn't doubt the harvest. He knows it's coming. See, you see it with every step of progress. Now watch this. But you get excited, especially when you start seeing the work that's done below the surface start to happen above the surface. I'm acting like I know a lot about farming. I really know nothing about farming except for what I read, but I did live in Ohio once, and it's full of cornfields. And I got excited when I saw all the corn, right? 2 Timothy 2.6 says, It's the hardworking farmer, it's the only kind, who ought to have the first share of the crops. See, there's joy in the harvest. There's joy from short-term faithfulness. That's good. But there's great joy from long-term faithfulness. See, when you've been praying again and again, month after month, year after year, 
And that prodigal comes home. You can't stop. You run to the prodigal. Recapture the harvest. God wants to use you to heal someone's soul and to heal everything that's broken in their life. See, God's purpose leads to God's prosperity. And God's purpose requires God's presence. I'm going to give a summary. I did this last week. If you'll remember, in Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 9, four types of soil. The seed falls along the path, okay? And that's the hard soil, And the birds come and scoop it up and eat it before it ever can really penetrate the soil. Then the seeds fall in with the rocky soil, and it's shallow, and there's no depth of root. And so sometimes the seed springs to life quickly. The sun comes out, scorches it, it withers, and it doesn't sustain. Some seed falls among the crowded soil, among the thorns, And the cares of this world and the worries of this world and the deceitfulness of riches in this world, they choke the seed and it dies. But some of it falls on good soil. And good soil means you understand the word, you obey the word, it produces fruit some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. What's necessary for the farmer to produce a harvest? I've taught this my entire life. You'll keep hearing this. Four things. Watch this. Plow the soil. This is what we got to do. Plow the soil. Number two, prepare the seedbed. When I say prepare the seedbed, think of it kind of like fertilizer. All right? You got to get that seedbed rich and ready to receive the soil, the seed. Plow the soil, prepare the seedbed, plant the seed. And fourth, pray for rain. Stop asking God to bless you skipping his process. Oh, let me just show up, pray a quick prayer, and have the harvest poured out on me. Again, Follow me. Be in a love relationship with me where you want to be with me on Monday and you want to walk in a a conscious awareness of presence with me. And I told you last week that abiding relationship is just like Karen and I abide in a marriage. I think about her throughout the day. I make decisions with her in mind throughout the day. I look forward to spending. uh, I got sick last week and because she's got um, R for R coming up and she couldn't afford to be sick. I've been sleeping upstairs for four nights. It's like, I'm in the same house, but I'm still away and I want to be with her. I don't want to be on different floors with her. Why are you on different floors with God? Would you start abiding with him all through the week, all through the day? No shortcuts. Why would you want to take a shortcut? You're spending time with the one who is love that gives you the ability to receive love that gives you the ability to love. So what can we learn from the farmer? I'm going to share this 
And then I want us to prepare. Becca's going to sing a song over us and prepare for you to have an opportunity to receive healing. Here's seven things that we can learn from a farmer. Farmers start with the harvest. They start with the harvest. See, a farmer knows how much land he has. A farmer knows how much equipment he has. A farmer knows how much money he has. A farmer knows how much the the team is. A farmer wants the hundredfold harvest, but a farmer is also kind of predicting as well. And a farmer doesn't want more harvest than he can handle unless he then rallies up other farmers to come help and other hands to come help. So farmers start with the harvest. If you're not motivated, you're not seeing the harvest. If you're not motivated, you're not seeing who, what your divine potential is and who you can become. You're not seeing the glory of God in you. You're not seeing the gold in you. You're not seeing what he wants to make you. And then if you're not motivated by the harvest, you're not seeing the gold in others. Farmers, they embrace hard work. Salvation is free, but sanctification is costly. We co-labor with God. We co-labor with God. Farmers embrace hard work. Number three, farmers prioritize the process. Don't try to skip the process. Love the process. Honor the process. Enjoy every day in the process. Now watch this one, number four. Farmers focus on daily task. Daily task. That's where we break down some, isn't it? But you eat daily. You brush your teeth daily. You probably shower daily. I have no trouble doing daily tasks when I love what I'm doing. Farmers overcome problems. There's going to be problems. Listen, everybody's so offended. Just stop. (laughs) This world is full of problems. It's full of sinful people. You're never, you're never going to say things all completely nice enough and do everything all right to not. If someone wants to be offended, they're going to be offended. Stop choosing to be offended. There are problems. We're called to be the solution. Farmers understand urgency. Hey, the harvest is coming, people. I was telling the staff the other day, whenever this building actually does happen and we get in there, I'm planning on having two services, 901 and 1101. You like 901? But I believe God's going to bless two years of cultivating good soil. I believe he's going to bring people. I believe you're going to invite people. But there's an urgency. See, 
every single one of you, let's just say 500 people show up. We can't afford for any of you to be attendees. We need you to be servants, farmers. Farmers understand urgency, and farmers trust the law of the harvest. They trust the law of the harvest. Again, what is the law of the harvest? You reap what you sow. You reap after you sow. You reap more than you sow. Here's what I want to I ask you to do three things, okay? I, this is probably a little bit even different on the screen. If i got something written on the screen, I'm saying the same thing. I'm just hopefully going to say it in a more clear and concise way. The word first is dominant throughout Scripture. You know, like the very first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. All right, Christ should be preeminent in our life. That word preeminent means first. Uh, we are supposed to give him the first fruits of everything. Let me give you three firsts. I believe if you were to do these three first, I believe you would cultivate good soil in somewhere, you know, typically uh, the planting growing process is a six to nine month process. Somewhere in the second half of this year, you're going to start reaping some things. Here's three firsts. A daily first, I want to encourage you, write this down if you can. A daily first, that's just your priority time. A daily first is your priority time, all right? That priority time, it is a daily unhurried time that I set aside to read the Word of God, to know the God of the Word. It's just another term for devotional time, but we believe that word priority kind of sets it apart and shows what it really is, all right? So your daily first, and when I say unhurried, that doesn't mean an unlimited amount of time. If you're just starting this process, I would ask you to start with 20 minutes. Can you just set aside 20 minutes as a daily first, and you're giving him the first of your time so that your heart will attach to God first, because if your heart doesn't attach to God first, it will attach to me, myself, and I. You're not going to do it perfectly. I'm not asking you to make a year-long goal. I'm asking you to make a 90-day goal. In that 90-day goal, can you have your priority time at least 60 out of the 90 days? Give you a little margin to ease into it until you absolutely love it and you can't do without it. Your daily first. Here's your weekly first. A Sabbath. What are you asking me to do? Set aside the day to rest. Set aside a day to reflect upon the goodness of God. Set aside a day to be with friends. Set aside a day to enjoy all the blessings of God, all the promises of God. Set aside a day that you begin to make it the favorite day, your absolutely favorite day on a personal level, on a marriage level, on a family level, on a friendship level. Listen, the Sabbath doesn't mean do nothing the Sabbath means do something. And you know what that something is? It is to be with God. Wow. And to bring my family into that process. So a daily first is my priority time. A weekly first is the Sabbath. And then a monthly first, would you tithe? Would you give God, you know, it's like in football season, first and ten. The first and ten. Give him the first fruits, give him that ten percent, and I promise you, Listen, giving kills greed. You'll never regret being generous. 
three first. So Becca, if you'll come up here. Becca's going to sing a song that really is about the process of cultivating good soil. As she sings this song, I'm going to ask us to stand because it's easier for people to get in and out of the pews when you're standing. And listen, you can pray a prayer directly to God and he can heal you directly. Sometimes you want to come and ask someone to pray with you. You know, sometimes if you're battling with a little bit of doubt, hey, well, let's join my little mustard seed of faith with someone else's greater seed of faith and let's watch God do something. And then there are men and women in the life of our church that all of us have different orientations to, to the Holy Spirit and to the way the Spirit of God expresses uh, himself in giftings. And some people have some giftings in the area of healing. But I felt especially, and I want to review these. If you're battling any type of stress, anxiety, worry, panic attacks, depression, don't battle it alone. He's a healer. I believe he wants to provide not temporary relief, but permanent healing. Let me say that again. Stress. I know we all battle it to one degree or another, but there are some of us that we just tend to carry that. Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm meek and humble in heart. My burden is light. My yoke is easy. Do you need healing of something that's in that stress category, anxiety category, worry category, something that's stealing your joy? Allie gave a word of knowledge that is there someone here struggling, sleeping at night, and you, you need healing to be able to sleep at night? Is there something that even in the category that's kind of night terrors, that there's something that's scaring you and you need healing? There was a word that someone may have some visual issues in their right eye. Come receive healing. And let me close it this way. Sometimes we just focus on the problem. I just need healing from the problem. Maybe your heart needs to be healed from, I just don't care enough. I just got a little bit of apathy going on. I hear you. I cheer for you in the harvest. I hope you do well. But I don't really know what my place is in the harvest. I don't really know what my purpose is. Listen, you don't have to be a preacher to have a purpose. Every single one of you have 
the purpose according to your strengths, according to your skills, according to your family, according to where you go to work every day. You are salt and light where you are every day. You are people proving love works every day. But when we begin to catch fire together, oh, we're going to burn brightly. Right now, I don't want to see just individual matchsticks. Like, oh, here's individual candles. Oh, I got my little candle and I'm walking out. And we're going, whoa, protect, whoa, 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 protect, protect. I want this match. Boom, 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 boom. And we are a torch. When it snowed out here the other day, we're trying to figure out how to like clean up the parking lot. Justin brings a blowtorch. Well, that'll do it. I mean, that's creative problem solving. Why don't you ask God to set you on fire? Seriously. Like, are you wet wood? It's okay, it rains. It's okay, sometimes we get left out in the wood, in the, in, the, in the weather. That's all right, there's no shame here. But if you're wet wood, just say, set me on fire. Some of you need a little starter log. I will buy it. I'm totally good with it. Whatever it takes to build the fire. So allow this song to be a time for you not to wait till the song to be over to go to lunch. For you to listen to God. Prayers, listening to God and respond. Listen and respond. Ask something big. Come receive prayer. Pray right where you are. Expect Him to answer. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's message, share it with a friend. And be sure to subscribe to this channel so you don't miss a single episode. Join our movement and help us to prove that love works. You can give towards our mission at onecitymemphis.org.